I'm beginning a series today called Christianity 101. Now, those of you who went to college, you know, you'd have English 101. And when I was in college, we had something, we called it bonehead English. And that's for people that weren't quite ready to do English 101. So you had bonehead English. And, of course, I got to participate in bonehead English when I went to college. But Christianity 101, these are the basics of Christianity. And you might be thinking, Pastor, this church has been here for... 66 years and this is why do we need this well if you look at any of the newest surveys on the level of biblical understanding in the united states among those who call themselves evangelical christians the numbers are just horrible it is horrible the other thing is we live in a culture that is almost completely post-biblical now where any reference to the scriptures in popular culture is negative. Any reference to biblical Christianity in the pop, popular culture is negative. And so what we want to do is I want to arm you with the basics of what does it mean to be a Christian. When we talk about Christianity, what do we mean? And you understand now that you just can't assume that stuff anymore, right? You just can't assume it. So we really need to have a good base level of understanding. So let me tell you how this is going to go. The morning services through this series are going to be foundational doctrine, and you'll get a taste of what it's going to be here in a minute. In the evening service, we're going to get into some deeper stuff, some more historical stuff. Tonight, what we're going to look at, because my message this morning is on sin, and just so that you're not in suspense, we're against it, okay? But so it's on sin this morning. The way, the, the tool that Jesus Christ used to overcome sin is called atonement. He paid the penalty for our sin. Aren't you glad He did that? And we're going to look at that in a minute. But this evening what we're going to do is we're going to look at how modern Christianity has changed the doctrine of the atonement. What, so when, when you see that people no longer care about sin who call themselves Christians, I'm going to show you tonight where that thinking came from. So be sure to be here at 5 o'clock tonight for that. What I, so this, Christianity 101, the, the real problem in our lives is sin. Sin really is the true enemy of every believer. Sin is the true enemy. So what I want to do is in the early 1900s, there were a series of books called The Fundamentals. How many of you have heard the word fundamentalist? All right. That term came from these booklets called The Fundamentals. And I've got a few of the actual originals that I could show you in my office. And what had happened was Christianity was being undermined through what was called modernist theology. And it was liberal theology. It denied the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection, the visible return of Jesus Christ. That's what modernism did. So there were a group of people basically under the head of a man named R.A. Torrey. He was pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago. And they put together these booklets. One of them was written by a Baptist... And what this will help us to understand is the significance of the study of sin. Why do we need to study it? Now, how many of you recognize that you have sinned at one point or another? All right, I think that, I think that that's a given. But we have, in, in, especially in modern Christianity, the concept of sin has been so watered down, and it's rarely mentioned, and that had started back in the early 1900s. And so here is, um, I, I'll tell you the guy's name here in a minute. I can't think of it. But this man wrote this. 
Theodore Parker, who was uh, a liberal theologian, he said this, quote, I seldom use the word sin. The Christian doctrine of sin is the devil's own. I hate it utterly. So that's the concept of modernism. They don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about it. Why? Because it makes you feel bad. Doesn't When you recognize your own sin, doesn't that make you feel bad? Because it's wrong. And so in modernist Christianity, and we'll look at that more tonight, they want to undermine it. His view of sin shaped his views as to the person of Christ, atonement, and salvation. Um, the word atonement is that means satisfactory payment. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be reunited with God. All right? So his view of sin shaped his views as to the person of Christ, atonement, and salvation. In fact, the sin question is back of one's theology, soteriology, sociology, evangelism, and ethics. Soteriology is the study of salvation, and that's the message next week. Today is sin. Next Sunday is salvation. All right? And just, I had meant to say this a minute ago. If you'll remember, when I was speaking a couple of weeks ago, when people make the statement that all religions are basically the same, how many of you have heard someone say that? Our religions are basically the same. Remember the list of things where I said they're different. So if all religions are the same, well, they differ on sin, salvation, the nature of God, the nature of man, the church, the members of the church, heaven and hell. Other than that, they're exactly the same. And so the basic outline for the beginning of this study is going to be sin, salvation, heaven, hell, nature of God, nature of man, and just the foundational things that identify us and who we are as Christians. And then I'll show you through this study what different faiths believe about those subjects. So soteriology is the study of salvation, sociology, that's the study of society, and then evangelism and ethics. One cannot hold a scriptural view of God and the plan of salvation without having a scriptural idea of sin. Isn't that true, folks? You can't understand salvation until you know what you're saved from. All right? Then, one cannot proclaim a true theory of society unless he sees the heinousness of sin and its relation to all social ills and disorders. No man can be a successful New Testament evangelist publishing the gospel as the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth unless he has an adequate conception of the enormity of sin. Nor can man hold a consistent theory of ethics or live up to the highest standard of morality unless he is gripped with a keen sense of sin's seductive nature. That's Charles B. Williams. So isn't that an amazing statement? We can't, you can't understand theology, salvation, sociology, ethics without a clear understanding of what sin is. And if you define it for yourself, then there's no standard. And you start living on a, on a pitching deck like you're in a, on a boat and you never know where you can actually stand. All right, what must, uh, we must distinguish between sin and sins. Let's start in Matthew chapter 1 and let's see what the Bible says. The first thing it says is that we are saved from our sins. Matthew chapter 1, and look at verse 21. And so this is the announcement of the coming of Jesus. All right, the Bible says, and, he shall, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall, what's it say, everyone? 
for he shall save his people from their sins. So, we need to be saved from our sins. It's foundational truth in Scripture. Look with me at uh, John chapter 8. Look at verse 20. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and look at what it says, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. Look at what it says. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So Jesus Christ is making it very clear that every person in the world will die in their sins unless they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's vital that we understand what sin does in the world. Look at um, Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So our problem is that we're all sinners, and there's a penalty for that sin, and that penalty is death and hell. All right? We are all sinners. The Bible tells us that we need to be saved from our sins. And sin really is man's basic problem. Is anyone here who's ever been sick? Anyone here ever been sick? Why do we get sick? Because of sin. Because of sin. And it's horrible. So the next time you're really sick, what you really need to do is meditate on the awfulness of sin and the trouble that it's brought in that it has brought into the world. Sin is man's real and primary problem. Look at Romans chapter 5. God's solution, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if a person doesn't think he's a sinner, then he doesn't need the death of Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? And so we need to understand that we are sinners and Jesus Christ came into the world to save us. Look at verse 20, Romans 5, 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now notice what it says, that sin, that as sin hath reigned unto death. When, when sin is on the throne of your life, then that leads to death. That leads to death and hell, separation from God forever. That's what sin does. But there's a solution. And that's having Jesus Christ reign in your hearts. When Jesus Christ reigns in your hearts, then you can have eternal life. Now, let's see. I want you to see what it says. Does it say temporary life or does it say eternal life? Does it say temporary life or eternal life? Eternal life. Then notice what it says. It doesn't say eternal life by your good works. It doesn't say eternal life by your keeping the law. 
It doesn't say eternal life by your turning over a new leaf or becoming a better person. It says eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you call upon the name of your brother, you're going to go to hell. If you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you get to go to heaven. Sin is our problem. Jesus Christ is the solution. And you can't understand your need for salvation until you genuinely understand the awfulness and the sinfulness of your sin, my sin. Look with me at Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 22. But the Scripture hath concluded, look at what it says, some under sin. Is that what it says? No, what's it say? But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that work really hard to become a Christian. What does it say? That believe. That believe. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When you believe what God says about your sin and who Jesus Christ is, then you can be saved. Isn't that wonderful? That's such a beautiful verse. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. That's just a wonderful thought. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at what it says in verse 21. For he hath made him, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know any sin. He is completely sinless. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Sin is our primary problem. Jesus Christ is the only solution. Praise the Lord that Jesus Christ has paid for our sin. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Christianity 101. I, Laura and I visited with a, a lady one time. And this is the only time this has ever happened. Um, we're giving her to the, the gospel. And I read the passages that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And as you're giving someone the gospel, what you want to persuade them of is that they're a sinner. And most of the time, you just ask the person, so have you ever sinned? And everybody, sometimes they'll lie in, in a jesting way. No. And, and you know that they're being silly. This lady wouldn't admit that she was a sinner. What do you do then? So you've never had a bad thought? Nope. Have you ever been angry with someone unjustly? Nope. I mean, it was one of the weirdest things I've ever experienced. It, it's, just, it, it's just wild because everyone knows that they're a sinner. Here, let's, let's just testify. If you're a sinner, raise your hand. You just know that you're a sinner. I mean, it's just, it's all of us, saved or unsaved, people who want to admit to the gospel of Jesus Christ or not. Everyone knows that they're a sinner. We all know that. Have you ever heard this? Nobody's perfect. Anyone ever said that? Well, that means you're a sinner. That's what it means. Look at verse 15, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And I think that we all ought to admit that. And when we start to compare ourselves to others, I'm not as bad as him, I'm not as bad as him. What you need to understand is that your sin is bad enough to take you to hell, 
and you need a Savior. That's the state of us. So, what is sin? If we're going to understand what sin is, we have to distinguish between sin and sins. I'm sorry about these fonts. I tried to make it bigger for you. I'll try to do better for that next week. Sin is not a weakness or a flaw for which we cannot be held responsible. Listen, it is an energetic, purposeful antagonism to God. That's what sin is. Have, have you ever known something was wrong and it kind of made you mad that you couldn't do it? I think all of us would say, yes, yes. One of my favorite things is the kid who had gotten into the sprinkles. Have you seen that on, the, on YouTube? This kid got into the sprinkles and his mom said, did you get into the sprinkles? And she's videoing this. And the kid has sprinkles all over his hands, all over his face, and the jar is half gone. Did you get into the sprinkles? I did not. <laughs> I did not. So you didn't get into... I did it. And I don't know how she did it without laughing. And, you know, sin should make us angry, but, you know, when kids do it, it's just cute. I don't care. It's just... But that is the sin nature in us. He wanted something he wasn't supposed to have. That's me getting into the cookies when I'm supposed to be on a diet. You know, it's the same thing. It's forbidden fruit. It's always sweeter, isn't it? You know, when you're on a diet and you, you get a Coke, it's the best thing in the world. It is the nectar of the gods. When you have not had anything, any sugar, you drink a Coke and it's just the best thing in the world. Then you get diabetes and die. Why? Because it's bad for you. You got to stay away from that stuff. It's so interesting how all of this stuff that is so horrible for us. Jack LaLanne used to say, if it tastes good, spit it out. Isn't that funny? <laughs> now, I don't want to live like that. But that's the world. The world is that sin, all of these things that are bad for us, are so enticing to us. And you've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit to overwhelm this stuff in your life. The thing about sin, this is such a good statement, is not a weakness or a flaw for which we cannot be held responsible. It is an energetic, purposeful antagonism to God. So what is sin? And we're going to look at the Bible and define sin here in a minute from Scripture. But sin, it's the tendency or disposition to sin that we inherit from Adam. We're looking at the difference between sin and sins. So I don't, I, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. All right, and what's the illustration I'm going to say right now? You don't have to teach your kids to throw a fit at Walmart, right? They, they, they just do it. You have to teach them how not to do it. We're still working on Jacob on that, but when he wants a transformer, he wants it. That's just all there is to it. So sin is the tendency or disposition to sin that we inherit from Adam. Sins, those are the specific acts that we commit as a result of the tendency. And so it's really important that we get that. The, the fact is that we need a Savior. If we actually never did anything wrong, we would still need a Savior because we're sinners. But the simple fact is we can't not do something wrong, double negative for you English teachers. We can't not do something wrong because we're sinners. All right? The Bible gives us five definitions of sin. Sin is to break God's law. So look at 1 John chapter 3. Well, I like this statement. It's kind of the same thing. A dog is not a dog because he barks. He barks because he's a dog. All right? Same thing with us sinners. So look with me at 
1 John chapter 3, look at verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And we're going to look at what that means here in a minute. But the idea of sin being a transgression of the law, it's a violation of anything that God's told us not to do. That's what sin is. It's a transgression of the law. So not only that, so that's a positive. It's an active sin. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and look at verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's sin. How many of you have ever not done something that you knew you were supposed to do? It's just sin. It's just sin, and that's where all of us are. So sin is a transgression of the law, and it's neglecting to do what we know is the will of God. Then, Acting outside the bounds of faith. Look at Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 23. So this is talking about whether or not to eat food that's been offered to idols. And let me just say this. The point of the Scriptures is it's just meat. Those idols aren't living things. It's just meat. But eating that food would offend some people, and eating it wouldn't offend others. And so basically what it comes down to is if it's going to offend you, don't eat it. If it's not going to offend you, eat it. It's interesting, isn't it? It is. That's such a great lesson in imposing your standards on someone else. Right? There are things that would violate your conscience because of possibly something in your past that wouldn't violate my conscience because I don't have your past. Don't define my Christianity by your standards. We define Christianity by biblical standards. Amen? Now, there's another premise. Don't cause a weaker brother to stumble. What did Paul say? If it would cause my brother to stumble, I won't eat it as long as the world stands. I'm going to sacrifice my liberty to eat that meat to keep a weaker brother from stumbling. So don't cause a weaker brother to stumble. How many of you recognize that's a biblical principle? But you know, there's also something implied there. Don't be a weaker brother. Right? If you keep being offended and you keep stumbling, that's an immature Christian. Have you ever watched a toddler walk? They fall down a lot. Right? And God built in padding for them so it doesn't hurt. They just, man, if I fell the way these little kids do, I'd never walk again. I'm glad I actually learned to walk. But, you know, you have Christians that just toddle around. They just toddle around, always falling, always falling. Don't be that. That's what Christianity 101 is about. It's establishing some things for you so that you can have a foundation and then you can grow ahead. It's really important that we do that, all right? So, what the Bible says here, verse 23, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin." Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So our statement here is acting outside the bounds of faith. You understand that for the Christian, we are supposed to live by faith. Everything that we do is supposed to be by faith. But we do so much in our own strength and in our own flesh, and according to the Word of God, that is sin. That's sin. So let's make sure that we are aware of that so that we can walk in a more faithful way. Then, unbelief. 
Unbelief is sin. Look at John chapter 16. Look at verse 8. So Jesus Christ is sending the Holy Spirit, and He's telling us what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Verse 8, And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on Me, of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more. So when Jesus Christ was in the world, they could see Him and know what righteousness was. You could see it. When Jesus Christ ascended to the Father, He sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit convinces us of what is wrong. So if you see someone punching a baby, no one has to tell you that that's wrong. Right? What would you, if you saw that happening, wouldn't you immediately jump to that child's aid? You couldn't help it. And what's interesting is the ladies in the room would do it quicker than the men. It's, it's amazing what God has put in us to preserve the human race. Laura was telling me that she was um, getting her nails done or something and spending thousands of dollars to keep up this appearance. But <laughs> while she was there, the news was on and there were two stories about children being killed by live-in boyfriends. Two different stories, two different places, two different children in Dayton killed by live-in boyfriends. That's a study that you ought to do. When you look at children being molested or murdered, it's almost always by someone other than a parent who is living in that home. God has established the bounds of morality for our homes. You get outside of that and there's all kinds of evil that comes. It is so true. But what's interesting is then there was a story about a dog that had been beaten. And there was a young girl, millennial, working there. And she had listened to the story of the, the first child being killed. She had listened to the story of the second child being killed. When she heard the story about the dog being beaten, she said, turn that off. I can't listen to that. The world's going crazy. The world is completely upside down. But here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit lets us know what's more important, the killing of a child or the killing of a dog? The killing of a child. It is so clear. What the Bible helps us do is the Bible helps us understand the definition of what is sin. And here, sin is unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, then, all righteousness. Oh, I'm sorry, all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Go to 1 John chapter 5. <laughs> if all righteousness was sin, that would be bad. 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin that is not unto death. All right? So what is this telling us? First of all, that anything that's not righteous is sinful. How do we know what righteousness is? Through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. What did the Bible just tell us in the book of John? That when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convince us of righteousness. Why? Because Jesus Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father. So the Holy Spirit identifies what, righteous, what is righteous and what is unrighteous through the Word of God to us and our consciences. But notice it also says, so all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin that is not unto death. What is that? How many of you ever heard someone say that all sin is the same? You ever heard somebody say that? Well, all sin will send you to hell, but not all sin is the same. There are some sins that might cause God to kill you. There are other sins that would not, that, where God would not kill you because of that sin. Ultimately, unless you are saved, any sin will take you to hell. 
when you are saved, and this book, if you look at verse 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that ye have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So First John is written to saved people. And so this, talking about a sin that is unto death, here's what it comes down to. Some people ask this question. What happens to a believer when they sin? When a believer sins, what happens to them? Do they lose their salvation? No, no, they don't lose their salvation. But you can sin in such a way that God will take you out. That's what it comes down to. We need to understand how awful sin is. Amen? See, that's how I know that some of these false teachers aren't saved. If they were saved, God would have killed them because their teaching is so heretical. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. And so what we need to understand is the Bible gives us five definitions of sin. Sin is to break God's law. It's neglecting to do what we know the will of, is the will of God. It's acting outside the bounds of faith. It's unbelief, and it is all unrighteousness. All right? So finally, that's every Baptist's favorite word, right? Finally, consider these thoughts about sin, man's greatest problem. There are open sins and secret sins. There are open sins and secret sins. Look with me at Psalm 90. And look at what it says in verse 8. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. The Bible says that all things are open unto him with whom we have to do. We can't hide anything from him. But I've got to tell you this. I am very thankful that my sins are secret. How many of you are glad that, that everyone in the room doesn't know everything bad you've ever done? But they're not secret to God. They're not secret to God. There are secret sins. The, there are open sins and there are secret sins. The open sins are obvious things. Drunkenness, lying, profanity, theft. We all know that those things are wrong, right? Open sins. You can tell when someone is sinning openly. But I've got to tell you, our culture is rejecting that stuff. You know, there are Christians who believe that homosexuality is okay. There are Christians who believe it's okay to kill a baby. There are Christians who think it's... You know what that is? That's antinomianism. That is, that's the, there, there's nothing wrong then. That's nothing wrong. It is interesting. To those people, if you describe the killing of a baby, that's worse than killing the baby. It's crazy. It is crazy. But we need to understand that there are open sins, there are secret sins. The Bible makes it very clear what those are. Okay? Um, how many of you know that prostitution is sin? Pornography is sin. Obvious things. Adultery is sin. Fornication is sin. Drunkenness is sin. Stealing is sin. Killing is sin. All right? We all know that those things are open. The secret sins are things that lie within the heart. Let's try and figure some of these out. Look at 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, this is so interesting. Look at verse 15. Uh, verse, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Look at this. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. You ever said, I hate this guy? I, said, I just hate this guy. Well, if you hate a brother in Christ, that is the same as killing him. 
How many here, you've, you've, no, no, I'm not, this is not a trick question. I'm not making the comparison. I will in a minute. How many of you have never murdered anyone? Right? But man, when you hate somebody, you are a murderer. See the difference? Secret sin, open sin. Secret sin. Do you know that you can hate somebody and nobody know it? It's funny when they tell you, you know, I've hated you for years. Well, thanks. <laughs> I don't know that that's necessary to do. Just stop hating them. Um, <laughs> it's always, you know what I hate? You watch a married couple and they say, yeah, the first time I saw him, I couldn't stand him. Thought he was ugly. Man, that's really helpful, isn't it? Isn't that helpful? All right, don't do that. Um, so, don't hate your brother. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 27. Secret sins. Hey, guys, if you ever tell that story, you will really be in the doghouse. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 27. I was in verse chapter 15 by mistake, and it's so funny what I just said. The verses, and she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs of which fall from their master's table. And I just said, You're in the doghouse. It's funny how that happened. Synchronicity. Um, say Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Yes, all that stuff is going on in my head all the time while I'm doing normal stuff. So look at what the Bible says. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So this is the secret sin. This is the secret sin. Nobody, no one will ever know, guys, if you're lusting after that woman. No one will ever know. But Jesus knows that's a secret sin. All right. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 17. We quote this verse a lot. It'll be good to look at it. Jeremiah chapter 17. Look at verse 9. The Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's the secret stuff that's in your heart. It's just evil. Your heart is evil. Look at Mark, and this is how, where Jesus Christ defines it. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, look at verse 21. And, you know, as we do these studies, if we're going to do Christianity 101, it's not what does Jim Alter think about these things. It's what has the Bible said about these things. So we're going to be using our Bibles a lot. You might say, it's hard for me to find some of these passages. I can't turn fast enough. Well, again, that is part of Christianity 101, isn't it? It's learning where things are in the Bible. All of us struggle. Um, I'm horrible at memorizing lists. How many of you are that way? It's just, you can remember stuff, but memorizing lists. If you asked me this, I'm going to make a confession that you, you'll probably fire me for. I don't know the books of the Bible in order. I couldn't recite to you the books of the Bible, but I know where they are. So that's the, just learn where they are. If you have a hard time, first of all, some of you are great at memorizing lists. Well, memorize where the books of the Bible are. It'll be helpful, more helpful to find them. If you're not good at memorizing lists, then figure out where they are in the Bible, and that'll help you. And this is just part of 
Christianity one, growing in the, Christ, in the Christian faith, finding out where the books of the Bible are and where the passages are. Okay, so Mark chapter 7. How many of you are disappointed that I don't know the names of the books of the Bible in order? I know some of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I think I know the New Testament. I mean, you get into the minor prophets, I don't know where Hezekiah is. Because it's not a book of the Bible. Okay. I was tricking you. All right, so... Mark chapter 7, look at verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men... This is what Jesus is describing us. This is how Jesus is describing us. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye. How about that? And just you just the way that you look at people, just evil. Um, and even, some of you are thinking of your mother-in-law right now. I know you are. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Now, can you see how modern thinking about how good everybody is? Do you see how that Jesus Christ would undermine that thinking? This is all the stuff that's in us. These are the secret sins that the Bible defines. So why do some people seem like big sinners and others not so much? You know, man, that guy's a real sinner. I love the story about these two guys that uh, they were just known for being whoremongers, thieves, just blasphemous, horrible guys. And the one died, and so they were, they were wealthy. And this guy started going around to the preachers in town trying to get a preacher to preach the funeral. And he was offering the preacher $5,000 if he would say that his brother was a saint. And everybody said no. All the preachers, because they all knew him, except for the Baptist preacher. He said yes, probably building a building. And at the funeral, he said, Joe was a lion, thieving, whoremonger, blasphemous, one of the worst people you'd ever see. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> I love that story. Why do some people seem like really big sinners? How many of you know somebody that's not a Christian, but by human standards, they're just a good person? We live around a lot of really moral people, ethical people who are not saved. Why do some people seem like big sinners and some like little sinners? Clarence Larkin, Baptist preacher, he said this, in fruit, there's a tendency to rot and decay, and unless preserved, it will soon perish. So it is with the root principle of sin in the human heart. Out of Christ, there is no difference between men. Take a man honest, honorable, truthful, upright, benevolent. Take a woman pure, chaste, amiable, gentle, meek, the embodiment of all loveliness. Take some sweet girl, pure as a lily, the light of the household, a living joy, Take a little child, innocent, the heaven-sent prattler uh, of the fireside, and as unspotted as the new-fallen snow. And what is the difference between any of these and the lost spirits, the sin-saturated souls, hating and hated, cursing and cursed, blaspheming and damned, that writhe in hell? It is simply the difference between meal into which the leaven has been placed and meal in which the leaven has done its work. It is simply the difference as to time and development. What's the difference between the innocent child and the horrible sinner? What's the difference? 
In one, sin has taken its course. In the other, it will. Unless it's preserved. Better word than preserved, saved. See, that's what Jesus Christ does. You know, the world hates our God. The world hates our God. But Jesus Christ came into the world to save us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is meant... So Romans 6.23, we looked at it earlier, the wages of sin is death. What is meant by that? First of all, it's more than mere physical death because those who are righteous die physically. So the Bible says... Um, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. All right? Everybody dies. Unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns, all of us will die. Amen? All of us are going to die eventually. So it's not just physical death. It is not spiritual death because sinners are already spiritually dead. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So we hear about spiritual death Look, first of all, it's more than mere physical death because those who are righteous die physically. It is not spiritual death because sinners are already dead spiritually. It refers to eternal death. Eternal death. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, let's look at it. Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What is the death that comes from sin? It is eternal separation from God in a place of eternal torment. Here's what happens. Death is the separation of the soul from the body. Look at Genesis chapter 35. Let's get the definition of that. Death is the separation of the soul from the body. Genesis 35. So this is speaking of Rachel. Genesis chapter 35, look at verse 18. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name ben Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So the Bible is giving us a definition here that death is the separation of the soul from the body, all right? So what happens at death? It refers to eternal death. That's the separation of the soul from the body. At the resurrection of the wicked dead, they'll get their bodies back. That's what Revelation 20 is teaching us, that that body that has died, that body is going to rise again. Now, how many of you are glad that your body rises again? Incorruptible. You're changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. This mortal must put on immortality. How wonderful is that? That's not what happens to these folks. These folks, their body rises, it's reunited with their soul, and then that body is cast into the lake of fire forever. Wow. 
once they are judged and sentenced, they will die again. This is the second death, and it's eternal. Do you see why this is the first message in Christianity 101? When we understand what sin is, then we can understand the entire plan of God for the world to overcome sin and death. Praise the Lord. We have a great God. You know the world hates our God. I want you to see what Spurgeon said about that. Men will allow God to be everywhere but on His throne. They will allow Him to be in His workshop to fashion worlds and make stars. They will allow Him to be in His almonry to dispense His alms and bestow His bounties. They will allow Him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof or light the lamps of heaven or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean. But when God ascends His throne, His creatures then gnash their teeth. And we proclaim an enthroned God and His right to do as He wills with His own, to dispose of His creatures as He thinks well, without consulting them in the matter. Then it is that, then it is that we are hissed and execrated. And then it is that men turn a deaf ear to us. For God on His throne is not the God they love. But it is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon His throne whom we trust. You know, when the world hears that their body is going to rise again, it's going to be united with their soul, and they'll stand at that great white throne judgment, and God will look at them, and they'll be judged for exactly what they wanted to be judged, and that is their works. Because they say, I'm a good guy. I can do enough. I can do enough. God is going to judge them on the basis that they have chosen to be judged. Listen, you can be judged on your works and you can, or you can be judged on the works of Jesus Christ. Which one would you rather be judged by? Jesus. You see, the Bible says, we looked at it, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus Christ answered the problem of sin in the world. But when people hear that there is a righteous and holy God who will reunite their body with their soul and send that body into an eternal lake of fire where they will be tormented forever and forever and forever, they say, I don't love that God. I want to be my own God. That's not the God we preach. The God we preach is the God that is. You see, remember, what is true is that which is. You know, I... I could be 6'4". I'm not. I'm 5'8". Reality is I am not 6'4". I can wish to be. I can talk as if I were. It doesn't matter. It won't change anything. It doesn't change anything. Truth, reality. People can, can create their own God. They can define their own sins. They can create their own Christianity. But all that will do in the end is send them straight to a Christless hell, which is what they've chosen. People don't love the God that we love. They would if they really understood how sinful they are and what Jesus Christ has done to overcome that sin. Isn't that a blessing? Let's finish this. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 17. Philippians 3, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So point people out that are doing right. 
For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And how many of you recognize Stephen Colbert is the enemy of the cross of Christ? Right? Bill Maher, all of these people in popular culture, Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, all of these people, they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. That's the culture that we live in. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. But look at what the Bible says in verse 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. For our conversation, that's our walk, our lifestyle, our world, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Aren't you glad that's what Jesus Christ is going to do for us? He's only going to do it for us who are saved. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, that's not you. Your body's going to remain vile. And it will be judged throughout all eternity in the lake of fire. Why? Because a righteous God must judge sin. Or He's no longer righteous. But a merciful God sent Jesus Christ, His Son, to die on the cross to pay for our sin. And the only people who go to hell are people who have rejected the free gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ has offered them. How many of you here, you've you've accepted that free gift of eternal life? You know that you're saved. If you're here today and you don't know, get it settled today. Because sin is your real problem. Your wife, your husband, your boss, your children, that's not your real problem. Government, none of that's your real problem. Your real real problem is sin, and it's in you. We need to be saved. Amen? We need to be saved. Let's all stand together.